previously on Hacker Valley Blue. This is know thyself. It's all about knowing yourself, knowing your team, knowing the business. It's really about the exploration. It's about the immersion, teaching people, talking about it. How are you going to protect what you don't know that you have? You have to continually up your game. You have to be able to face this opponent that's not playing fairly. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, no need to fear the results of a hundred battles. This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged and need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned and that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time was the enemy of cybersecurity until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Check them out by visiting axonius.com. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this episode. In this episode, we speak to Marcus J. Carey, author of the book series, Tribe of Hackers, and also a close friend, mentor, and a family member to myself and the podcast. Marcus has done quite a bit throughout his career in cybersecurity. We touch on a little bit of everything, especially the fundamentals. Whether you're a novice or an expert in cybersecurity, this episode is absolutely for you. Let's jump right into this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, representing Hacker Valley Season Blue, themed Know Thyself. And this is a very, very special episode for me. I always mention I'm a son of cybersecurity. It's helped support me my lifestyle, my career, and has fueled my passion for learning. And throughout this journey, there's always been someone that has been family to me. And that someone is Marcus J. Carey. And besides being my mentor, one of my friends, Marcus is an expert in the field. He's mentored many, and he's even scaled his efforts by authoring several editions of Tribe of Hackers, cybersecurity advice from the best hackers in the world. And you're also an enterprise architect at ReliQuest. It's been way too long and long overdue, but welcome to the podcast, Marcus. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I feel like I'm back home for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. You're definitely family to us. I recently met you and uh, we just hit it off. Uh, but for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. I was in the military. That's kind of like where the tech story starts. Did cryptography in the Navy. Ended up getting out, being stationed at Fort Meade, working at the National Security Agency. Funny enough, back, even back then, I was, I was always networking and interviewing people and the day that I met Ron, I met Ron, I think Ron was 17 years old. 
I was interviewing Ron Gula, which is who who uh, created Tenable, and I was doing that for a public broadcast channel. So I've always been talking to people and trying to share information. I met Ron there. Ron has <laughs> Ron has been on the scene ever since. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When we met. I was looking at a CCNA book, a book on network engineering, and it really helped me communicate with you. You were like, hey, what are you doing reading this book? And I was like, hey, I'm trying to be a hacker. And you really encouraged me to focus on the fundamentals at that point. You were like, hey, you have to get better at Linux. You have to become better at being you know, that certified Cisco network engineer. So what are some of the fundamentals that you live by? What are some of the things that have helped you kind of get to this point to where you can have such great conversations with people in and out of the field? There is a lot of technical stuff. I think there's a people aspect to it and just being a good person and treating people good, being super helpful at all times, because you never know, you know, some 17 year old kid is going to be hosting one of the hottest podcasts in cybersecurity at some point <laughs> in the future. <laughs> It's just the way to live. You feel me? It's just in ensuring information. And basically, when I look at you, Ron, it's, it's an affirmation because, you know, I have a, a couple of people that I've, I've mentored and, and I've seen thrive. And it's not me. It's just the people are so awesome and they have so much potential. They're given opportunities. If they, they're introduced to the right people, they end up striving. So my whole thing is be good to people. Be Always be helpful. Always try to teach people when you can. That's actually how I work at work, how I was at my startup and how I am right now. So that's me all the time. And I can't I can't turn off. So basically, that's the fundamental of just thriving and and being a good person. But also at the same time, if you teach people, you're going to learn, too, because you have to step up your game. If I'm talking to you about a subject, even if I don't know it, we can learn it together. So by learning and, and helping people. It's going to make you a better person because anytime you're trying to do that, you're just going to step your game up. It's cool to see my people winning. And also, I learned so much from the process, too. They end up coming back to me. You know, Ron, you come back to me. Oh, you checked out this book. So now I'm learning. I'm learning mad stuff from you. And you can do a team. If you're on a cybersecurity team, that's how it should be. One person shouldn't be the ball hog, per se. I've been in environments where, you know, you have a, a rock star and that person's doing everything. And then you have a lot of people left on the sideline. But what you have to do is share information with everybody on the team, and then the whole team rises. Then you got a beast mode team. You feel me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible origin story for your relationship with Ron. I'd love to hear a little bit about the self-discovery. You know, this season is Know Thyself. When did you realize that there was something special about you and being able to solve these problems, not only building with technology, but building with organizations, writing books, writing children's books? Like, what? Tell us a little bit about that self-discovery over your journey. I've always been inspired by, like, when I was growing up, the OGs of learning the, you know, the in arts, the, the Picassos, the Benjamin Franklins, the George Washington Carvers, all these inventors in the past, uh, the Michelangelos. So I, I basically wanted to be Renaissance man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know per, per se. Like, all those people that I mentioned, many of them were artists. They designed products. They built products. Some of them built stuff that couldn't even be built at the time that they were. And so I just feel so fortunate and blessed. Code wasn't around then. And so if those people were could be software engineers, can you imagine some of the stuff that they would have did? If they would have had AI, if they would have had robotics, if they would have had... Those people were working with uh, duct tape and bubble gum, and they were, <laughs> and they were building all this amazing stuff. 
my inspiration comes from from them. Uh, I'm trying to leave it all on the field at the end of the day. Uh, so when when I when when I go when I pass away one day, I want to leave a dent in in the universe, and I want to inspire people to help other people. And so that's it, man. I've just been fascinated by inventors in my whole life. When I was young, I used to draw up diagrams about stuff I want to invent. I want to invent my own helicopter. I want to invent my own go kart because I didn't have the money, but I I could draw and I and I would draw all this stuff out on paper. Couldn't afford hot tennis shoes, so I would design my own tennis shoes. Couldn't afford hot clothes, so I would I would take the stuff that I bought from Goodwill. I would paint designs on them back in the day. That was actually very popular back in the day. I couldn't get nobody to give me a haircut, so I cut my own hair and I, and all that stuff. So basically, pressure makes diamonds. I was the poorest person I knew growing up, and I think that there's a lot of people in cybersecurity come from horrible backgrounds. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Latino, whatever. It's a lot of us in this game that are, are curious and want to help other people out, and that led us to this path. And this is probably one of the most challenging fields as far as learning and, and continuously to thrive. So I credit being raised without nothing because pressure makes diamonds. A hundred percent agree with that. I myself came from poverty. We didn't have a lot. And so I had to find my way to success. And it sounds like you found your way to success through creativity. You, you found these inventors that you wanted to aspire to be like. You started to invent yourself. Tell us a little bit about when you felt like your inventions and your creativity started to formulate into something that would touch the community and touch the world. The, the secret I learned a long time ago is I was stationed in Scotland when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. And so one of the things that I had to do is I had to maintain this database of classified information. It was an old school database called DBase. A lot of old heads out there, y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> y'all don't have to raise y'all hand. I wanted to date y'all too. <laughs> But DBase was an old database. Funny enough, the databases haven't changed that much as far as they've changed on performance and speed and all that stuff. But it was a database, and and I had to maintain it. And if there was missing classified information, people would get in trouble because of the classified nature of... So people don't know this. Before Edward Snowden, the Navy had the most notorious spies, the Walker family, uh, if you read up the history on, on espionage. I had to manage that database. Uh, and it, it, it was a kind of sucky job nobody wanted to do. So I, I wanted to learn how to manage the database better. I had a buddy named Zanny McRae. Shout out to Zanny. I don't know where you are, Zanny. If you're out there listening, bro, I wish you would hit me up. <laughs> he actually showed me. Uh, we had a little we had a little lab. So at 18, I, I didn't have nothing growing up. But we had a computer lab in the barracks that I was at. So I would go into the computer lab. Nobody there. <laughs> nobody nobody trying to learn nothing. <laughs> and uh, Zanny told me, essentially, he told me to scratch my own edge. Build your own database to do something. So I ended up building a database so I could I could keep up my CD collection. So that taught me something important. So scratching your own itch is a great way to learn any new technology and especially coding any new technology. So there's a lot of opportunity for people out there that if you have a problem related to your work, you can probably use that to automate. So eventually when I got to NSA, I was used to doing that. And then eventually I would automate stuff that we were doing at NSA. Uh, I was on the global network engineer team, which was a pretty prestigious team. Uh, I was in the Navy. So I started noticing that a lot of people are lazy. So it's not that I'm so awesome, but there's a lot of lazy people out there. (laughs) So I was the first person in the military to be on this. It was called an IP team at NSA. They managed all the global routers, switches, and everything. 
for the night security. I said, well, no matter where the router was at, we configured it and maintained it. I, I went from doing the crappy jobs until I started doing certs. I was the first CCNP at NSA. And I know that because the Cisco rep worked with me. Uh, so I was basically studying all the time, taking the tests all the time, getting certified all the time. And so I was surpassing all the people that were in technical roles, my section. So I ended up getting on the top team there for network engineering. It's not about being special. It's about working harder than the next person. That's all it is. that's about. And so anytime where you know, I work hard, I put in effort, I'm going to reap the benefits of that. And what's dope, though, is that when I learn stuff, I'm able to share it with other people. So the dopest people I worked with at NSA, the dopest people I worked in at life in general, the dopest people are the ones that share information. Now, how can you share if you don't know something? So I encourage everybody to learn as much as you can and share as much as you can. That right there, you can, you can, I take that philosophy and I apply it to books. I take it to everything. Tribal Hackers was all about me learning by asking a lot of questions. And that's the other key. Ask a lot of questions. Ask smart people questions, right? Ask a lot of questions and then share that information. That's what Tribal Hackers is in a nutshell. Tribal Hackers is my life. That's how I live. Chris and I, we like to pride ourselves as being lifelong learners. And I think that one of the best ways to learn is exactly as you described, and that's by teaching. Because when you teach someone, you get to learn it all over again. It's almost like when you're talking about a subject, you might learn something new just by someone asking you a really insightful question. And I think that there's a lot to unpack when you think about learning. There's learning tactics, there's learning styles, there's habits that you have to build to become a good learner. And one of the things that I've witnessed as I've gotten older, as our, as we've, you know, just maintained communication and a relationship is you're becoming an even faster learner. You're learning things at rapid speed. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, what are, what are your techniques for acquiring this information? You went from, you know, being someone that had an idea to create a book to illustrating your own book. So what are your tactics on gathering information and also retaining it? I understand the fundamentals very well first, and then I iterate on the fundamentals. Even in, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring uh, one of my friends right now. What they did is they, they started doing like these advanced algorithms and trying to qualify for uh, Google or as like interviewing with Google and like these super crazy challenges that Google gives you. You know, and you, you heard about some of these coding interviews at some of these places, and you may have been through some of them. Mm-hmm. I was like, I said, look, bro, I couldn't get past any, I don't know none of those algorithms you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, straight, up, straight up. I don't know, I don't know any of that stuff. And I probably don't know the right name for it, but maybe I can do it. Become good at the basics, the whole, how do you do if loop? How do you switch statement? Stuff like that. That's, that's the bread and butter. And if you understand the basics, sometimes, yeah, those, those fancy algorithms would be great to optimize stuff. But I tell people like this, like like me, I'm kind of a creative, you know, and like I said, kind of like a renaissance man where I'm good at a lot of stuff because I understand the fundamentals well and I kind of stick to the fundamentals. Now that I know the fundamentals pretty well of anything, I can iterate on top of that. You know, if at first I knew cryptography because I was in the Navy. Cryptography at its core hasn't changed. I knew internet working. That hasn't changed. I was a Solaris admin. I used to manage HP OpenView back in the day. Uh, at the NSA. And I used to have a lot of different other systems that were based on Solaris. So being a Solaris admin, when Red Hat came out back in the day, 
and people start using it. I knew the command line very well. All that stuff is stacking. And even like today, even in the cloud, when it comes to automating scripts and doing all that stuff, bro, it's like it's like riding a bicycle. Because, you know, even though the cloud is new to some people, it's just another computer <laughs> that you need to, you know, script and all that stuff on. So what I found is, like, I have a real solid connection with fundamentals of, of this field and, you know, encoding and, and inner networking. And so that, that to me has been the difference maker and just living long enough to put in the work. <laughs> and technology is so, dis- man, it's like you have all this access now, you mean? You know, I can create a three-tier Amazon account and learn cloud, you know, and learn all the stuff about that. Kubernetes, Docker, all this stuff is free to download to your machine. Definitely having a machine that can run all that stuff nowadays is, is kind of a privilege because them jokers are hogs on the memory and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you basically you can you can learn all the fundamentals to all this technology. And here's the deal. There's policy people in cybersecurity that are good at policy and we need leaders and managers. We need all kinds of people that can write. But we need people with diehard tech chops. That's why I tell people to hone in on. Get your tech chops on and, and you're going to be good. That's been helpful for me. There's a lot of content out there. I think like maybe even more than some people want. It's almost like information overload, analysis by paralysis. I know that's how I feel some of the time. And you were talking about stacking your skills. One of the skills that I had to learn late in life was how to take notes. And I think that skill, when I stack it on any new fundamental, any new topic, my note-taking abilities helps me, you know, get that information faster and build on more fundamentals. What do you think is that auxiliary skill that helps take everything and push it forward for you? I brute force life. <laughs> that's my. <laughs> that's my. That's my thing. Man, I was I wasn't a really good student in in school, and a lot of people are going to relate to this. It's listening to it. You know, I was good on tests because I could remember. I have a pretty good memory, and and that's actually kind of like my superpower. And now I'm trying to augment stuff. There's been stuff in my life that I was either kind of like too macho to do in some points in my life. Like uh, I didn't want to wear glasses. I knew my eyes were were getting worse. You know, when you get mid forties, you, your eyes start deteriorating. Mm-hmm. But I kind of tried to you know man my way through it, and I ended up getting some readers, like some you know some basic readers out of the store. Uh, out of CVS or whatnot. And I was like, man, I can actually see better so I can do my job better. <laughs> so it's to be like, I wasn't a note taker. Ron introduced me to Notion. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what's that? When I'm researching the topic and what's cool about that and what I like about taking notes now is if I wanted to do a talk in the future on the subject matter or teach that, I have all the bullet points and notes to go back and teach that to somebody else now. So yeah, I started. Ron got me on a Notion bandwagon. Uh, Notion is a is a note taking application for for y'all don't know, and any note taking application would work. Funny enough, I worked with Johnny Long, who's a, who's a pretty popular hacker. Yeah. And Johnny, that dude notes was ridiculous. That dude took notes for everything <laughs> that he ever did. And what's interesting about Johnny? Johnny used to write a lot of books back in the day, and he has very popular books. Uh, and m- many of those notes ended up being a books. So he just would write down everything, every hack he did. It was, I, I saw it firsthand. And what I did all my life is I kind of like, I relied on my natural ability. I can remember anything pretty much audibly. And my memory is super scary. 
and it pisses my wife off too. <laughs> uh, because I can remember, I can remember what we talk about to the T. So that's been a natural ability. But I would suggest to everybody, you know, even the case of me not wearing glasses, I didn't realize how much more productive at the end of the day I could be because I was coding. And at the end of the day, my eyes would be fatigued. And I was like, oh, it's not my, my eyes are tired. I gotta quit. And maybe that's nature telling me I need to take a rest. But at the same time, it's like, what can you do? Maybe you need to go see a doctor. I mean, I have to get my eyes exam. Maybe, maybe there's something that if you don't try to muscle everything out. And, and if you need notes or, you know, just use whatever you can to get an advantage. Because I tell you what, uh, there's somebody out there that's using every advantage <laughs> to their will. And so me, now I'm in, the, I'm in a mode where I'm using every available resource to level up. Because this competitive world is getting more global. And, and it's, a, it's a global economy. And it's a knowledge economy. So, you know, there's people that know more than me. But I try to out-execute people is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> You talk about your strength, the, your memory. You talk about some of your challenges, your vision, but you corrected them. And then you talk about your mission. You love to learn and then teach other people with that knowledge. When you take all of that into a combination, you can walk into an organization or a security team as a bad weapon. So I would love to hear your thoughts on walking into an organization that might be on like legacy networking um, infrastructure and they're want to move to the cloud. How would you use your abilities? How would you use your, your mission, your superpower in order to get them into the future and off that legacy stuff? Back in the day when I was in charge of working with teams in the organization, because they would get their Nessa scan back and we would find all these different vulnerabilities. Uh, it was at a government spot. And so sometimes you, you I would see security professionals, they kind of like throw the Nessus report over the wall and say, fix this. But the thing that I've had the ability to do is I, I'm able to teach them why it's important to do what, what they're doing. And most of the time to fix a problem, even at the command line back then, you can actually look up that command. How do I fix this? And then you can actually help that engineer, that uh, Linux admin or whatever. Hey, you just have to run this command on all your machines and it fixes this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what that does is that builds that trust. Now, now I trust you. You're not trying to get me fired, Marcus. You know, you you you're trying to help me out. You're teaching me something, and that's what I, what I talk about. And people talk about security as an enabler, right? We I want to enable you to operate securely so you don't get owned, right? Mm-hmm. Even with the cloud, anything that changes or anything that's new, people are hesitant because they don't understand, and it's threatening. I read a lot of books, and one of the books that I read. Uh, was on intelligence, one of my favorite books. And that book talks about the reptile brain and your <laughs> and how you run from stuff. <laughs> and it's a natural thing and you can't take it. So when yeah. new when when new stuff is introduced, it's like, oh, I don't understand that. We we're not gonna do that here. Right? <laughs> yep. But even if it's not in your job role, you can explain like it's not your responsibility to tell people about this stuff. Make it your responsibility. And that's something I learned in the military. Just because something's not on your job description doesn't mean you, you don't do it. So what you can do is you, you can be that enabler again. Everything you do, it doesn't have to be directly secure. Oh, if it's not a scan or it's not this, I'm not doing it. Some people look at life like that. What if you wanted to learn something with that engineer? What if you wanted to learn how to do secure coding with the developers? What if you went in and taught the developers how to run Burp Suite themselves, right? <laughs> so that's the approach that I take. 
and it's, it's demystifying security. It's being inclusive as far as I'm involving all the teams into the security conversation. And so what, what happens is, and I learned this myself by developing websites, I'll have bug bounties on the sites and I learn from those bug bounties. I quickly learn from, from all these people giving me free pen tests on how to write secure code. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> that was eating me up. So. <laughs> so have people try, experiment, and learn and take away the fear factor. Don't let their reptile brain kick in when it comes to instituting new stuff. You're not there to take nobody's job. That's just like people, oh, AI is going to take my job. Number one, if you can be automated out of your job, you need to scale up. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> like, if a computer can do what you do, you got you need to scale up. Quit playing. Uh, but yeah, so take take away the fear factor, and I think you'll be good to go. When looking at that transformation, whether you're going from legacy to cloud, you know, right now during COVID, we're going through a huge digital transformation just in general. I think that one thing that all security teams can learn from is ownership. And you kind of touched on that. There has to be someone that takes that responsibility to not only fix the thing, but educate others to help fix those critical vulnerabilities or those inconsistencies in the future. What do you think are some other overlooked areas that security practitioners can start to double down on to help their organizations and also their careers succeed? Uh, back in the day when I was working at NSA, uh, there, were, there was recommendations from NSA. I believe I was drinking the Kool-Aid and I thought that if you did all these recommendations, you'd be 100% secure. And the truth is, one of the major things that we can do is admit our weaknesses and the fact that we need to accept that we're going to be compromised at some point. But then when you're compromised, what do you do? Now, I think we need to accept being compromised as an industry down to the people level because it's too much stress. People stressing out and it's a lot of self-hate and self-blaming uh, when it comes to breaches. But the real problem is the criminals that are that are attacking you. If you're walking down the street and get mugged, you're not blaming yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the biggest things that people make a mistake with is thinking that they can be 100% secure. They attach their ego to that. Like, you know, I got to do all these policies. I got to do all this stuff. And they do all this work. And then they end up getting breached anyway. And some people have their whole identity wrapped up into that stuff. But you can't do that. So the big thing is, Understand that, that you will get compromised. There's a really good book about this by a legendary dude, Earl, I think, is it Nightingale? Earl Nightingale, one of those guys. He wrote a book about how you deal with stress in life in general. And so basically, I, I encourage people to think about what's the worst thing that can happen, and then walk your way back from that. Okay, we get ransomware, what, what's next? And that can, in, that can include what, what you can do to accept the worst case, maybe tabletop it, maybe do something like that, and then work your way back. Okay, if we got ransomware, what would happen next? But you have to start doing that uh, because what happens is you'll end up being way better at security. So basically, you say if we ransomware, we have the backups here. We have. If you think about the worst case scenario that can happen, you will build a really good security program. I mean, if you, if you think about the worst case and then address those issues wherever you're at, Security is not a uh, cookie cutter situation. You just can't go to SANS or some class. Security is more about your organization than it is about external stuff. So understand your organization really well. That's another thing people don't know. You said know thyself. 
know thyself, know thy organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what's the worst thing that can happen to my organization? And then how do we how do we walk it back? And also, I see people guaranteeing leadership. And you know, when I'm talking about leadership, I'm saying if you're a security manager or a CISO type person, don't be afraid to admit the bad stuff. Don't try to say we're 100 percent secure. Don't don't do that stuff. Like be really pragmatic and be be honest about the situation. I think like most of the time that people get 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 fired and stuff and, and have all these crazy problems because they're scared to admit the failure. They they'll see something and won't admit it. I was on a USS Ingersoll. A USS Ingersoll is a Sprint class destroyer. Before I got there, our ship uh, ran aground twice on a deployment. Mm. But the first time the ship covered it up. They were anchored out, I think, in Malaysia or something. Uh, in the sonar dome, they were anchored out, but you know they they weren't paying attention. And the sonar dome hit the bottom of the sea because they were out in shallow. They were in shallow water, anchored out for a port visit. The commanding officer, he was like, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna send divers down, and we're gonna make sure that there's no damages." And so he, they had divers come in, look, you know, dive down, inspect the sonar dome. There was no damages. Since there was no damages, the commanding officer said, we're not going to report what happened. <laughs> so they didn't tell the Navy that it happened. Mm. This happens in a lot of organizations. This is not limited to my my ship. I, this before I got on the ship, too. So basically, they ran aground. When they ran aground, it was funny because what happened is the Straits of Hormuz is what goes into the Arabian Gulf. It used to be called the Persian Gulf. So the, a Japanese oil tanker ran into our ship and had his anchor lies into the side of our vessel and ripped mm. like a 50 or 100 foot hole in the side of the ship. It almost killed some people up, up, up front of the ship. We limped in. They actually, they had to tow the ship to, uh, I think, Singapore or something like that. So we could get the ship repaired. So those guys were in the yards in, in Singapore having the time of their life for like two months while the ship was getting repaired. <laughs> <laughs> the sailor day was going crazy. But what's crazy about that is that all right, so the Navy, this is an international incident. It's a Japanese oil tanker in the Navy vessel that collided. <laughs> international incident, right? So they sent the investigators out to investigate what happened. So uh, they were interviewing uh, one of the, the sailors, and uh, they was like, okay, can you describe what it felt like when y'all ran into the Japanese tanker? And the sailor is like, well, it kind of felt like we ran aground in Malaysia. <laughs> so the investigator's like, what? Oh, <laughs> what <man>. are <laughs> so everybody's fired on the ship. <laughs> the story of cybersecurity is you see something wrong, but somebody don't tell something. It could be anybody in the organization. It don't have to be a security person. It could be ops. It could be you know, software development, they can see the bug. Oh, we're not worried about it. You brush it under the rug and nine times out of 10, that's going to come back to haunt you. So don't do that. Mm. That's my, that's my, that's my C story. That's incredible. You know, we, we talked a little bit about knowing thyself personally. And we also talked a little bit about knowing our, our security posture. We talked a little bit about knowing our security team. And I think that lends itself to resiliency because you know where your strengths lie and you know where your weaknesses are. But there's somebody listening to this podcast right now where they don't really have a clue as to what their strengths and their weaknesses are. They know they want to do something in technology maybe or in cybersecurity or really any field. What piece of advice would you have for that person that wants to discover their abilities and get better? 
you need to do something. I know you guys have a mastermind uh, thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you you gotta you gotta build a tight little network of people that you trust and will and will be and brutally honest. Uh, if anybody knows me, I am brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have people that's gonna tell you the truth. And here's the deal about about uh, I call them superpowers. So other people will see your superpowers before you do. And and I tell the analogy is this. Uh, Superman came to the earth in, in the comic books and Superman had all these superpowers. He could lift stuff. He was strong. Heck, he could fly. But to him, that was just ordinary power. He didn't understand that, oh, I'm different. So when people look at him like, God dang, how did you pick up that car? <laughs> oh, you flying. Or, you know, you know, all this other stuff, right? So half the time, you probably don't even know your superpowers. However... Uh, you need to pay attention to how people react to to what you do. And then you will really quickly start to understand what you're really good at. And people will tell you, you know, what do you think my superpower is? Oh, you're a good listener. You're a good mediator. You're really good at design. What we do is the stuff that we're good at, we tend to ignore. And the stuff we suck at, we overemphasize that. We like, oh man, I can't do that. You know, man, Ron is good at, good at this, but you know, I can't do it. Oh, Chris, man, I wish I had Chris hair, you know, <laughs> you know? So basically we, we, we tend to look at other people, but we don't understand how amazing and how awesome and how beautiful we are in our own right. So I would say that what you need to do is focus on what you're really good at and double down and double down hard. That's going to provide you with a way to eat in this world and, and survive. If you're good at technical writing or something like that, you're an asset that should be highly compensated at some organization because there's no documentation out there. You just have to learn how to, okay, cool. I understand security. I understand tenor writing. I can write beast mode security stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and there, there's a role for that. How do you do that? You have to embrace that superpower and you need to kind of flex it. If you're a young Superman, you're going to be, or, or a superwoman, you're going to be out there. You got to flex a little bit, fly on them, you know what I'm saying? Stun on them a little bit. <laughs> and don't be afraid to show show your talent. You know, you know they talk your stuff. Tell, tell them what the deal is. I'm not saying go out there and be bragging and be a jerk, but be confident in, in your superpower. And, and that's the biggest thing that I, I think people can do as far as uh, being successful in a career. Some people are good at sales. Some people are good at marketing. Some people are good. But what's what's cool about security is there there's a role for everybody in, in this in this field. Uh, and if you're a security practitioner, and if you excel at something else, maybe that's a good opportunity for you to be a, a sales engineer. Uh, and you maybe can increase your income like that. Maybe you you could you you're a really technical person, but you're a real people's person. So you're naturally a salesperson. Go sell security product. Maybe you're a natural marketer. Maybe you're good at social media. You're good at TikTok. You're good at whatever. Those superpowers always show. And then you have to learn how to finesse and, and be able to leverage that superpower. And that's the that's kind of like what I, I try to recommend to my people. I always try to help people discover their superpowers. I'm like the black Charles Xavier. <laughs> Outstanding. Be confident in your superpower. Marcus, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on the mics. Uh, for the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you have going on, what are the best ways that people can do that? Uh, Marcus J. Carey on Twitter. 
Uh, I'm always doing a lot of stuff. Uh, so if you stay tuned to my Twitter, you know, I, I will tell you exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I'm very verbose on Twitter. Awesome. I would highly recommend everyone to stay connected with Marcus. Also, be sure to check out his books. We will drop all of those resources in the show notes and we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.